Hello, my name is Brad Klein, and um, I'm here for TurfNet Renovation Report. And uh, our guest today is a golf course business consultant, J.J. Keegan, out of Castle Pines, Colorado. And um, I want to thank our sponsors, uh, the Andersons, Golf Preservations, and uh, Capillary Bunkers for making this uh, interview possible. JJ, um, I hope uh, things have calmed down a little bit from the weather out there. I was out your way about two, three weeks ago, and it was hellacious. And now uh, I hope it's calmed down a bit out there in the Colorado. It has calmed down a bit. We don't have any snow forecast for at least eight more weeks. <laughs> the well, rain, lightning, and hail uh, can occur at any point in time. And Brad, thanks for asking for me to be with you today and all the fabulous superintendents across America. As I often say, the most important person at a golf course is the superintendent. Without them, there is no golf. And if the courses weren't maintained with the care that they do, the industry would really struggle. So I have a dear place in my heart for the superintendents across the country. Yeah, I don't think there's any other aspect of the game that has changed as much over the last 30 or 40 years. Maybe you could describe to start with, uh, you're generally brought in to evaluate the business, cash flow, return on investment, all that other you know, operational stuff. But you have a lot of interaction with superintendents along the way. Can you describe what form that takes? Absolutely. The approach we use is actually seven steps, and two of those steps focus on the superintendents, the course, and the operations specifically. First, and most importantly, we look at the demographics in the area, and is the course supportive of the experience being created by the superintendent based on the mosaic profile and the slope rating? Let me give you an example. A mosaic profile is an indication of an attitudinal behavior of the residents wanting to play golf. So we compare it to the nation, and it's like in San Antonio at Mission Del Lago, it's a minus 34, and the slope rating is 134. That's out of balance. And so they lose $400,000 a year. So the course and the way it's being created and maintained and the difficulty of it is not compatible for the residents in the area. And so it's important for the superintendents to understand and realize who is their customer what is their demographic background and profile, and what kind of experience are they seeking? We were just up in Meadow Park where it is a course rating, it's uh, 115, and it's absolutely ideal for the customer base within the 10 mile radius. And they're gonna do $3 million in revenue this year as a municipal golf course compared to the average municipal golf course doing only 1.4 million. We then look at the weather and the playable days. We actually have a forecasting tool through Weather Trends International that is 80% accurate in terms of the, um, the amount of precipitation. And a playable day is defined as between 45 and 90 degrees with less than two tenths of an inch of rain uh, and less than 18 hours, uh, miles an hour of wind speed. Well, Weather Trends International has a forecasting tool that goes 11 months into the future. So wow. companies like Budweiser, and they actually determine their advertising, or Johnson & Johnson looks at their advertising, for example, for Memorial Day or the 4th of July, and they'll advocate, and they will advertise where they see the weather's gonna be warmer. So for example, if for Budweiser, they see a region's going to be one degree higher in temperature, they'll produce five million more barrels of beer. 
Well, the applicability of that for superintendents is this tool is if they were about to drop five to ten thousand dollars of uh, fertilizer and it's going to rain the next day two and a half inches you'd be ad advised not to do so so weather trends international is a tool we use as a way of helping the superintendents determine the weather pattern and how many playable days they actually have in a year i know i was just with the superintendent up in uh, on tuesday this week up at meadow park in tacoma and they were absolutely surprised. I asked them a question, how many playable days do you have? And they said, oh, we have over 300 days. Well, they actually only have 253 days because between November 1 and February 28, they kept 60 days of rain a year. <laughs> what are some indications to you that uh, the, uh, the maintenance regimen or obviously the, the budget is out of line. There's some metrics you use as well, aren't there? Some basic uh, Well, absolutely. Standards? The first thing is actually, what is the green fee in relationship to the maintenance budget? Yeah. There is a correlation that the average maintenance budget of a municipal course is $500,000, and it's no coincidence that the average green fee and cart fee across the country is $51. And so if you go to a private club where the average maintenance budget is about a million dollars, average guest fee at the typical private course is $100. So we look at that ratio of the green fees in relationship to the maintenance budget because if we saw that the maintenance budget was a million dollars and the golf course green fee was $30, there's no way they're going to be able to recover sufficient revenue with the green fee that the green fee and the maintenance budget need to be in sync relatively to 0.001%. That's 10,000 to one. Is that yeah. right? Correct. So a rough indication. That's a very interesting. And you know what? As soon as you mention that, I can think of three different facilities here. And I'm in the Hartford area. And it exactly, it, it's, it's right there. It's right about there. 35,000 rounds. And um, the budget would be about 600,000 for a $60 green fee. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. Do you find when you see uh, something out of balance, do you work with the superintendent, the GM, uh, the golf professional, where do you go uh, to start adjusting these things? Ultimately is to the owner. 60% of our clients are municipalities, so ultimately it will go to the parks director, and from the parks director it will go to the city commissioners where we will make a presentation bringing into balance all of the seven factors of the demographics, the weather, the agronomy, the deferred capital, the operations, we will have done a survey and will financially benchmark the course. So our ultimate deliverable is to the director, but we get the input of the superintendents. For example, most golf courses are budgeting to break even cash flow. I should point, and that they aren't considering the deferred capital expenditures. So we were just up in, as I said on Tuesday, with the superintendent, and so we sat down with him and evaluated you need anywhere from 750000 to a million dollars of equipment to maintain the golf course. So we looked at the age of the equipment, what was the replacement cycle, and we have put into the budget recommendation $200,000 annually for capital replacement on equipment for him, and we've identified the specific pieces of equipment that he needs. What we also do is that we realize there's 13 components to a golf course in terms of the greens have a life of 30 years. That's about a million dollars, $50,000 of green to require. Right. Irrigation systems have a 20 to 25 year life. 
So in Meadow Park's case, that irrigation system's 40 years old. They can continually critically repair it, but we will show to the city council the ability to do what is critical, what would make them competitive, or what would be a comprehensive. So in our recommendation, there will be $2 million there for a complete overhaul of the irrigation system. It's only a question of time before it needs to be replaced. So I gather part of your contribution to the uh, industry is to uh, provide for uh, an annual set-aside of Capital X for investment in the golf course future. Is that right? So that it's not just coming at the last minute, but that you, they've planned for it in their, in their budget, in their green fee, in their, in their business model. Absolutely. But unfortunately, I wish I could say that everybody created capital reserves. Very yeah. few do. Most literally, we're actually talking about with two clients right now, issuing, is the golf course strong enough to do a revenue bond, or are they going to have to wait and go part of as a general obligation bond for an entire park system for bridges and roads and other things that we're seeing in a Missouri client we now have. But the amount that should be set aside annually, Brad, is if you take the depreciable components of the golf course and the Golf Course Builders Association should be celebrated along with the Golf Course Superintendents Association. Good point. They've taken the components, they go out to the builders on an annual basis and say, what is the cost in your region to replace these items? And so we have a template like today to do a complete renovation of a golf course is running about seven and a half million dollars. So we take those components and say, okay, based on the lifespan, you should be setting aside $175,000 in capital for the infrastructure of the golf course, semicolon. We then have to take a look at the building as a component and add additional capital reserves to maintain the clubhouse. How can superintendents help themselves professionally? You know, most of them, it's one of the curious things about the job is to me, a lot of what it takes to, to succeed is, are the things you learn once you get hired. Uh, graduate school and turf school, they teach you about turf, but they don't teach you about a lot of the business skills, a lot of the personality skills, operations. How can superintendents help themselves um, in, in terms of their facility and their own career advancement here? If I had an observation is that the superintendents do have a challenge in struggling with and communicating with the director of golf. We see too many silos at the facilities. We don't see in many cases a team-based approach. And that the role of the superintendents isn't given the importance that it needs and deserves. And so I think it's a question of becoming more, I hate to use the word assertive or demonstrative, but in literally creating a vision budget in proactively taking it to the course owner, to the parks director and saying, here are my needs going forward. Rather than reacting, I think they need to become, rather than passive, proactive in defining what their needs are. Because one of the components that we see that's always a struggle, I'm, my heart goes out to the superintendents today, the biggest struggle that's going to happen in the intermediate term is finding qualified labor. The major universities like Penn State and Kansas State University that have trained great people like Matt Corlay, uh, they're now struggling with their enrollments are down. Yep, yep. I think it's a function of a culture and a wide discussion that goes beyond this little you know, broadcast today. But so therefore, we're finding lots of staff um, are trying to get the H2B workers, which comes with some administrative challenges, but 
high school kids based on them now getting out in May and having to be back in school in August. And based on in municipal environments, you can only have a part-time employee work a thousand hours before it ticks into a full-time. And if it's a course that's got a labor union involved with it, it, labor becomes a tremendous challenge for the superintendent. So we're seeing, we'll look at how many full-time people there are. We were just at a client course two weeks ago. They have two full-time on maintenance, and they try to augment it with enough seasonal workers that constitute 16,000 man hours a year. One of the things we look at is how many labor hours are required to maintain a golf course. And we do that based on the number of playable days. If you're up in Minnesota where there's 180 playable days, that's roughly 12,000 man hours to maintain the golf course. Conversely, if you're down in Florida or Arizona, you're going to need 25,000 to 30,000 hours to maintain that same golf course. And so determining seasonal versus full-time hiring, the whole concept of having seasonal hiring in, I'll say, south of I-70 becomes questionable in you know, the California, Arizona, and the Florida, and Mississippi marketplace. It's the greatest challenge I think superintendents face today and that they are such dedicated workers that they are not vocal enough in terms of their needs. I was just on a golf course uh, three weeks ago and on the fifth hole, the quarter of the trees was 10 yards wide, 50 yards off the tee. There was no way to get a ball there. And as I was walking down the fairway, there was a branch that was 20 feet long hanging that got caught in the limbs if it fell, it would have killed somebody. And so I immediately brought that to the attention of the appropriate people and their reaction was, well, we'll just rope around it and we'll schedule it for the fall because we don't have the staff. And I'm kind of going, that's not an option. Um, <laughs> our, guest, our guest here is industry analyst, JJ Keegan. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. The capillary bunker system keeps bunker moisture at optimal levels to eliminate washouts, soil contamination, plugged ball lies, and other bunker maintenance and playability problems. The patented capillary bunker system not only rapidly drains rain from storms, but also moves moisture back up to the bunker sand through capillary action as needed during drier weather. Capillary bunkers last longer, average a three-year payback, and provide better, more consistent player experiences all with a 10-year performance guarantee. For more information, visit capillarybunkers.com. From fairway and greens drainage to full-scale renovation work, Golf Preservations can handle your project with ease and give you the peace of mind of knowing the professionals are caring for your valuable golf course assets. Since 2005, Gulf Preservations has meticulously installed over 500 miles of drainage pipe on more than 300 golf courses nationwide, always keeping disruption of play to a minimum. Visit GulfPreservations.com or call 606-499-2732 to speak with us about your next drainage or renovation project. Introducing Genesis RX, a line of comprehensive fertility and soil amendment solutions specifically designed for airification, construction, renovation, sodding, 
sprigging, and seeding. These blends represent the most comprehensive fertilizers the Andersons have ever produced, offering single product solutions designed to simplify fertility and save time in application. To learn more, visit andersonsplantnutrient.com slash turf. We're back on the renovation report with uh, industry analyst J.J. Keegan. And um, it's a fascinating business side that's absolutely indispensable. I would recommend to everyone a book that he's written, The Winning Playbook for Golf Courses. And uh, it's a great guide to the numbers and what it takes to keep a facility operating. We're just talking now about just having an awareness of the thousands of hours involved in a actually a realistic assessment of what it takes to take your golf course to reasonable conditions. And, um, you know, as you point out, uh, one of the big problems right now is um, folks coming into the industry, enrollments are way down, uh, qualified superintendents are having a heck of a tough time finding good uh, assistance, much less labor. So, uh, and that's, that's one of the things that's really been tough during the COVID crisis as well. And as we emerge from that, we're seeing a completely different pattern of labor and jobbing. And um, that, along with water, is going to be uh, one of the real vexing problems. Um, and you were talking about how you um, essentially can do an assessment or help provide an assessment of the, literally the, how many hours it takes to maintain the golf course. I assume as well you can break that down into specific tasks in terms of greens, bunkers, just mowing and what you would save if you did away with the intermediate cut. I gather these are things that superintendents uh, can do, particularly with spreadsheets and some technical skills. Is that right? Yes. As a matter of fact, Brad, I'd be glad to offer to any superintendent that listens to this broadcast. We have a template. We've defined 55 separate tasks that maintenance workers and superintendents are engaged in. And we then have this template of these tasks. How often do they do them by day, by week? by month and by quarter and so therefore for example and semi-annually and so if they only aerate twice a year they merely put in and we've got an estimate of the number of hours and it helps them quickly formulate sure. what are the total labor hours that required it takes less than 15 minutes for them just to put in the frequency of the task in administrative or how often are they changing the cups are they doing it daily or just twice a week or how often are they mowing the fairways it has calculations of what it will take and is it precise and accurate to the hour? The answer is no. But what we do is it's heuristics. We try to define within a range of, for example, at the Welshire Golf Course here in Denver, Colorado, they have 16,000 man hours. And so our template will reflect somewhere between 15,500 and 17,000 hours and helps them frame the budget because if they had 25,000 hours being when we looked at the salary and payroll reports, obviously it's overstaffed in relationship to. But what I should say is we usually see it's way understaffed in terms of what's required because superintendents are so hardworking, they just say, well, we'll do it ourselves uh, and we'll put in the extra time, which is you know commendable, but work-life balance. And I think that's one of the areas superintendents really need to focus on. One of the components we see with labor in municipalities Labor unions have a very, very vital role in our society in a 40-hour work week that is a 52-week year. But we see challenges in superintendents with labor unions where, in fact, in the northern climates, they may get double time during the summertime 
and they will get some, or they have the ability, like up on Cape Cod, is they'll put in the double time in the summer, and then they don't work from November to March based on the double time they earned, meaning a lot of the large capital projects, tree removal, get deferred because they're so busy with a short staff of maintaining it for summer that a golf course is a living organism that's only designed by the architect on the day it opens. And it's constantly growing. And so therefore, significant capital projects have to occur throughout the year with respect to maintaining it. Yeah. Well, it helps to be able to allocate it so that you're paying the least, well, you're paying prevailing wage rather than time and a half or double time for the same task. Sounds like that golf course with the 10-yard clearing has um, suffered from considerable deferred maintenance as well. <laughs> but there was actually two, one in New Jersey and one out of Cape Cod where we saw this issue. Um, and in the, in the New Jersey golf course, um, it was interesting. The city council maintained that they open, be open all year round except for uh, Christmas Day. The only people that were playing in New Jersey from Thanksgiving until um, early March were the season pass holders that had only had paid a, a small amount of money, right. and therefore it was preventing the maintenance crew from actually doing work and taking down trees because of the presence of season pass holders that made no sense. Unfortunately, we were able to get city council to change the golf season and give the maintenance crew 90 days to do the important projects on the course in New Jersey. And the point was that had no additional revenue. Of course, that's one of the dirty little secrets of uh, municipal golf and pass holders is that the last thing you want is to sell too many of them because the ones who buy them up, half of them have figured out the break-even point and will play golf like crazy to get past it. So hopefully you, you offset that with the others who just buy a pass and don't use it. But if, I had, any if I had any recommendation for the superintendents is to go to their pro and say, get rid of season passes. Yeah. Somebody always loses. The golf course loses when somebody buys it and plays 100 to 150 rounds and they're paying 4 to $5 a, a round. The course starts resenting that golfer. They become dominant like they own the place. They chase away and they're hostile to other golfers. And then the other side of the coin is if somebody buys a season pass that's non-refundable and they're injured, they kind of resent the golf course for not getting value out of it. Season passes are a bad deal. And the only people that use them do it under the justification they need that revenue to cover the winter period you should have sufficient capital to be able to cover that without having to discount so widely through a season pass yeah a lot of clubs or courses in the public sector labor under the uh, misconception that they, they should be driving rounds what they should actually be doing is driving revenue and there's a big difference there Completely agree. I'm always humored at the PGA show when you hear pros talking, saying, oh, we had a great year, our rounds were up. I very rarely hear people say, oh, our you know, revenue was up or our red par was up. If I had one comment on the entire industry is I think the entire golf industry is underpriced. For a four-hour leisurely exercise that has an $8 million capital investment initially in a course, a four to $8 million capital investment in a clubhouse to only charge for 30,000 rounds, which is the average $50. That's only a million five. That's not enough to sustain a facility. Golf rates need to increase across the board, in my opinion. Yeah, that's exactly the case. And I think too often the burden is on uh, superintendents to keep up conditions to a level that don't generate any excessive revenue. I, I assume one of the things you can do an interesting kind of algorithm 
to work out is uh, what's the optimal um, investment in the maintenance budget to optimize revenue in a market beyond which this pursuit of championship conditions is basically just kind of a, a vanity. You know, and the you benchmark for that's the green fee, and it deals with the attitudinal behavior of the clients. Let me give you an example. Yeah. On a course that's slope rated 115, the maintenance budget is going to be a lot lower than on a course that's slope rated at 140. And so you'll look at what's that mosaic profile. In um, Southern California, Newport Beach, it's plus 45. Well, what courses are out there? Pelican Hills. And what green fee do they get? North of $300 for those two golf courses because the expectation of that customer were more Lexus and Mercedes were sold than anywhere else in the country in the Newport Beach area. They're expecting a certain experience and a certain quality that's going to dictate the maintenance budget that in turn gets reflected in the green fee. It's all ties together. I was just at a golf course uh, that was pleading. It's been pleading poverty for years. It's underfunded. Uh, it's suffering a little bit. And you walk through the parking lot, and there's a Mercedes and a Porsche and an Audi and a, a Cadillac uh, SUV. And you think, you know what? I think there's a little bit more money here than they're pretending. Uh, and they're getting by on a maintenance budget of, well, let's just say under $400,000. So. Well, it's funny. If you're... Um Listeners go to jjkeegan.com blog, you will see that I posted there is a client that we now have where they sell these season passes and the average season pass holder is playing for $5.62 a round. And so I was literally in the parking lot and I took the pictures of the Lamborghinis, the Mercedes, the yeah. Lexus, and the Cadillacs, and I just said, the argument that they don't have the money, I don't buy. Our guest today is industry analyst J.J. Keegan for Renovation Reports. I want to thank our sponsors and uh, let me urge everyone to pick up uh, J.J.'s book, The Winning Playbook. And where can they reach you? J.J.Keegan.com. Pretty easy. Well, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And um, it's great talking to you in a different side of the maintenance industry. For Renovation Reports, this is Brad Klein. <laughs>